Please be advised, this episode contains descriptions of injured children that some listeners may find disturbing. All America is watching and waiting tonight, watching the little town of Midland, Texas, and waiting for rescuers to free little Jessica McClure. It was in the morning of Wednesday, October 14th, 1987, when it happened. Back then, Reba McClure, only 17 at the time, ran a preschool daycare center out of her sister's home in Midland, Texas. Among the children she looked after was her own 18-month-old daughter, Jessica. Around 9.30 a.m., Reba left the children playing in the backyard to answer a phone call. When she went back outside, she saw some of the children were gathered together with strange looks on their faces. Some were even crying. But her daughter, Jessica, was nowhere to be seen. Then, as if from miles away, she heard her crying out for her mommy. With horror, Reba knew instantly what had happened. In the backyard was an uncapped, dry water well, barely eight inches in diameter. The 18-month-old Jessica had fallen down it and was now trapped 20 feet below the ground with no way out. I'm Donnie Dust, United States Marine Corps veteran and world-renowned survival expert. This is Rescue. Today's episode, The Baby in the Well. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In 1987, I was involved in the sale of very high-pressure pumps. This is Greg Locks. Back in October 1987, Greg is on a sales tour in Shreveport, Louisiana. Like thousands of others around the country, he hears the news about a young girl. I was in a motel room getting ready to go out, and I had the television on and the news, and... I heard about a little girl who had fallen in a well. Back in Midland, within minutes of Reba McClure raising the alarm, emergency workers flocked to the scene of the accident. Jessica has in fact fallen 22 feet down the well, about the height of a second floor window. She is stuck in a chamber about 15 inches wide, But due to the narrowness of the pipe, they will have to somehow dig her out. To make matters worse, the first doctor on the scene advises against giving her any food or water in case she chokes or worsens potential internal injuries. The doctor also states 
they have 36 hours to get Jessica out. We worked, we performed demonstrations, and it was well into the afternoon when we finished. But when we got into the truck, we put the radio on, and the news was still talking about the little girl in the well. But the news was very optimistic, and that the rescuers expected to have her out in a few hours. She was alive and doing well, and that the rescue was imminent. As news of Jessica's plight spreads quickly throughout the local area, a whole community rallies together. Everyone from on and off duty Midland police and firefighters to employees of local oil companies to the Midland County Department of Human Resources all flock to the scene to offer their help. In fact, so many people arrive that many have to be turned away. Midland Police Chief Richard Check and Midland Fire Chief James Roberts take control of the situation. Their plan is to drill a hole next to the well shaft and cut a tunnel across to where Jessica is trapped. From there, it is hoped they can pull her out. A construction team quickly gets to work, while throughout the day, numerous Good Samaritans turn up to the site to donate drill bits to keep the rescue going. Hot air is pumped into the shaft to try and keep her warm. Local TV station, KMID-TV, supply a microphone that is quickly lowered into the well so rescuers and medical support can hear Jessica's crying and breathing. But more importantly, so Jessica's terrified parents, Reba and Chip McClure, can communicate with their daughter. All day, they call down tearfully to her. They tell her how much they love her and to stay strong until they can get her out. After a monumental effort from all involved, by 7.30 p.m., the drilling team has made it 28 feet into the ground and they are ready to begin drilling the rescue tunnel up to Jessica. Then everything changes. The problem is the rock. What they are drilling through is a limestone bedrock comprised of flint and caliche, the floor of an ancient ocean that covered most of Western Texas 100 million years ago. And it is just about the hardest, toughest material that any of the drill workers have ever encountered. No longer able to use the huge industrial drill that made the first shaft, the rescue team is forced to use handheld drills, one person at a time. jackhammers that make so much noise and rattle so much. And you put it against the rock and it just hammers away. The problem was you have to come at it at a very straight angle, almost perpendicular. When you move the angle to where it parallels the surface, it has a tendency to bounce off. It doesn't cut into the rock. One after another, construction workers in hard hats, plaid shirts, and blue jeans, some as young as 18, 
are lowered into the shaft with a heavy jackhammer to pummel at the rock. Drill bits constantly break and dust and sparks fly everywhere. The men can just about manage an hour before cramp and exhaustion kick in. Each arrive back on the surface with their heads pounding from the noise and bodies drenched in sweat from the heat. Faces buried under thick smears of dust and dirt. Reba and Chip McClure can only watch on, distraught and helpless as the hours tick by. This is Mike Von Friend reporting for ABC News Washington. Hearing the child cry is just absolute agony. The young parents would come out and they'd call down the hole and Jessica would respond and sometimes say mommy. She even sang nursery rhymes once. The past hours have been mostly crying. The overwhelming thing about this is she has had absolutely no nutrition throughout all this time. By Thursday morning, though they are only two feet away from Jessica, the drilling has slowed to a glacial pace of about one inch an hour. Before long, they reach the 36-hour cutoff point that the doctors warned them about, and getting to Jessica is still a long way off. If they can't figure out another way to get to her, she will die. It's about this time that Greg Locks returns home to Houston from his work trip. We got home about nine o'clock at night, and that's when my wife informed me that our phone had been ringing off the wall, that people were calling from all over Texas for me. As it turns out, someone at the rescue site is familiar with Greg Locks's company and one piece of equipment in particular that they manufacture, a radical new cutting tool that uses water like an extremely high-powered hose to cut through all manner of materials. It operates with a force of 50,000 PSI. When you consider that the average house in the United States, the water pressure in the home faucet is probably six to 10 PSI. This is a very, very effective cutting tool. It has been used for amputations because it cuts so cleanly. It's used for removing concrete from bridge decks because it's so strong. When Greg gets the call to ask if he can do anything to help with the rescue, like so many others who dropped everything to go, Greg doesn't think twice. After making some phone calls, he arranges for the equipment to be sent directly to the site and quickly assembles a team of operators to meet him there to put it into action. Greg arrives at the site first thing Friday morning. By now, the 18-month-old Jessica has been trapped for almost 48 hours. That's two days, unable to move, with no food or water. The chances of her surviving are decreasing rapidly by the minute. It's strange to arrive so late in the operation, The fear and concern for Jessica is etched on everyone's face. There wasn't a lot of talk. You didn't hear a a hum, a buzz from the crowd. People weren't actively engaged in conversation. Everybody was within themselves with their own thoughts. No one was more concerned than Jessica's parents, Chip and Reba. 
Chip and Sissy were ever present at the site. Neither one of them left. I remember seeing Sissy at the the well site talking down to Jessica. Uh, I remember seeing Chip do the same thing. Greg and his team are determined to get their equipment set up as quickly as possible, but they are told to stand down. Only the day before, when things got more complicated, mine safety expert David Lilly was flown out to oversee the rescue. He has some major concerns about Greg's device. Mr. Lilly was afraid that the pressures we were proposing to use would have a detrimental effect on Jessica and could conceivably cost her life. The police chief, the fire chief, they were all concerned that we would not be able to control this kind of pressure. Concerns that we might hurt her, concerns that we might flood the tunnel, uh, concerns that we might possibly cause a cave-in if the water started to weaken the rock in some way. So they walked away and left us. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Deflated, Greg and his team have no choice but to watch from the sidelines as other volunteers are sent down into the hole. One after another, they return to the surface, utterly exhausted, having made it barely an inch closer. They are running out of time. The reason is clear to Greg. Because of the tightness, because of the closeness of the space, the operators could not get the tools at an angle to the surface that would allow them to chip away the rock. Greg knows the rescue team have the answer sitting right in front of them. He just has to prove it to them. We decided that if we can get a piece of the rock, we can show them what we can do. So maybe they'll be willing to give us a shot. Greg and his team do exactly that. Taking some samples of the kind of rock they are trying to break through, they apply their cutting device. Within minutes, it is piercing through it faster than any drill can manage and precisely too. Finally, after hours of waiting, rescue supervisor David Lilly has no choice but to give them a shot. We were told that decision had been made to give us a try because uh, mechanical tools were no longer effective because he had completely used up all other options. Going from the sidelines to being thrust into the front of the rescue effort is intense. Suddenly, the enormity of what they are being asked to do hits them. 
we were told by the doctors, actually, that if you can't cut the rock out, she's going to die. <laughs> and, you know, that, uh, that heightened the urgency. Uh, don't know it's what I wanted to hear, but it did heighten the urgency of getting the job done. For Greg, it seemed very much like Jessica's life was in his and his team's hands. If they failed, there was no backup plan. This was it. Like many rescue workers who face this kind of unfathomable pressure, Greg tried to stay rational in the moment to help focus on what needed to be done. We were the only option left on the table. Bear in mind, others had been told, if you don't get her out, she's going to die. So if we flooded the tunnel, if the water got away from us and got to her, well, I don't want to be crass about this, but she was going to die anyway. We should take a moment to really appreciate Greg's position here. He cannot fail, or it's going to result in the death of an 18-month-old girl. To deal with the weight that falls on your shoulders when everything else has been tried and failed, you have to have a different mentality going into this. You can't have a mentality of, I hope this works, or we're going to give it our best shot. You have to have the mentality that we are going to get that little girl out of the well at all costs. You go do what you have to do, because if you can't get her out, she won't live. With that, they get to work. With Greg acting as liaison up top, two of the team are sent into the shaft. One to work the tool and the other to watch closely for any sign that theirs or Jessica's safety is being compromised. I was probably most anxious when my guys first went in and first started cutting the rock. I was anxious for a report to get up to me of how fast they were going. We were told initially, we'll give you a very short period of time to go down there and show us something, and then we're going to inspect it. If you haven't done anything, you'd be ready to pull off. After the first inspection, we were told to get back to work. <laughs> we were removing so much rock that they needed us down there. The tool is working. And though it's much quicker than the pneumatic drills, the job is no easier for it. The water exits the nozzle in excess of the speed of sound. When it hits the rock, the rock doesn't just fall to the ground. It ricochets, it sends it flying. So the guys that were actually on the gun, their faces got pretty beat up from these little pieces of sharp rock. With Greg's team getting closer and closer to Jessica, hope is renewed throughout the rescue site. But when night falls and they are still yet to break through to her, the mood darkens. There was no sound, no talking. The crowd became very somber. Every person was totally consumed with their own thoughts. I think everyone turned inward. There was then a feeling that 
for all the work that was done, for all the efforts that were made, for all the people that came here, everybody that prayed, everybody that helped. We might not make it. It isn't just those at the rescue site who feel it. From the moment Jessica's story hit the news, all across the nation, people have been glued to their TV screens and radios, hoping beyond hope that she will be okay. Although her survival is the most important thing, somewhere along the line, the success of her rescue began to feel like it was about so much more than just the fate of one 18-month-old girl. It was almost as though the hopes and dreams of America itself were depending on it. In 1987, the collective psyche of the nation had been rattled by conflict in Libya and the 1986 stock market crash, which led to record rates of unemployment, particularly in oil towns like Midland. There, unemployment had hit 14%, with thousands having to leave the city in search of work elsewhere. People were desperate for some good news, some hope to restore their faith in their country and each other. And now, after all this time, watching, hoping, and praying, it seemed their worst fears were coming true. Jessica wasn't going to make it. But for Greg and his team, they simply had to push all of that to one side and focus on the job at hand. The nation was watching, the world was watching, but it didn't feel that way. We were in a backyard in Midland, Texas. And for those hours, there was nothing outside that. That was the world at that moment. Any contact from the media is quickly brushed away. At one point, while we had work going on, a liaison to the media approached me and asked me if I would come over and talk to the reporters. At that point, I told him, no, I was doing a job here, and I needed to be here. All the while, the pressure is mounting. The doctor sought us out to let us know that the situation with her uh, was getting critical. She had been uh, over 50 hours without water. They were very, very concerned that she was going to become hypothermic, uh, even in spite of the, the warmer air that they were pumping down because that didn't reach her entire body. The doctor in charge informed me that the time was now. She had to be extracted, that she may not have much longer, and we needed to perform. Greg relays the information to his team in the shaft. Those on the surface can only sit tight and wait. Then comes the news everyone has been so desperately waiting for. Greg's team have broken through to the well shaft, and they can feel Jessica inside. The task of getting her out falls to 30-year-old Robert O'Donnell, a paramedic with the Midland Fire Department. 
Robert was going to be the paramedic that was physically going to pull her down the shaft and bring her up. I was near the back of the ambulance when the doctor was talking to Robert O'Donnell. She told Robert, get her out. Break her bones if you have to. Break her back if you have to. We can fix that. But we have to get her out now. Robert went down, prepared to do that. After rigging him up to a cable pulley system, Robert O'Donnell is sent down into the hole. A short time later, a deeply despondent O'Donnell is brought back up to the surface. He spoke to CBS shortly after the event. It was real emotionally draining. I was able to touch her hip area, but that was as far as I could reach. We couldn't extract her at that time. He came back up and said that he needed more room so that he could lay on his back and get his head further under the shaft that she was in and have room to get his arms where he could reach up and grab her. With emotions running high, Greg's team go back into the hole and work furiously to widen the space. Being so close to rescuing Jessica, only to now have to just sit on his hands and wait is hard for Robert. It was doubt whether I should go back in a second time because anytime I mentioned having to leave her in there, I would get teary-eyed, but they are going to have to forcibly remove me from the scene to keep me from going back down. After another 40 minutes, Greg's team has finally widened the shaft enough for O'Donnell to take a second stab at it. And nobody is going to stop him going back in. Across the site, everyone falls silent as Robert is clipped onto the cable and lowered back into the hole. He is followed by paramedic Steve Forbes, whose job it will be to bring Jessica back up to the surface if Robert can free her from the well. Everyone was deadly silent. There was not a word the only sound was the sound of the diesel engine on the uh, drilling rig that they were using to raise and lower individuals. But other than that, there wasn't any sound, nothing. Minute after minute ticks by as a nation holds its breath. On TV, news channels broadcast a seemingly endless shot of police officers, fire crews, men in truckers' caps, and construction workers peering down into the hole. And then finally, after an agonizing hour of waiting, the cable begins to move. Here it comes, there's clapping. A cheer ripples through the crowd that grows steadily in intensity. The place erupts in joy as an elated Steve Forbes appears in his red hard hat holding a small bundle in his arms. It's baby Jessica, and she is alive. After 58 and a half hours, she has been rescued. We saw Steve Forbes emerge. We saw him 
holding her. A cheer rose. You could hear it just like a shock wave move out from the well to the people in the front yard and the next neighbor's yard, to those that were further away, to the reporters across that couldn't really see the well. Everybody could see that she was alive. She was immobilized, but her eyes were open, and that was a, a very telling thing. And I don't think there was a dry eye anywhere within sight of that well. He's dirty, calloused rock drillers with their hard hats and dirt from having worked down at the well. Everybody, everybody was crying. The image of paramedic Steve Forbes in his big red hard hat appearing suddenly from out of the hole with Jessica in his arms will be etched into the memory of millions for years to come. Even viewers from as far as China are said to have tuned in to witness what was one of the highest rated moments in TV news history. After being extracted from the well, Jessica is rushed to the Midland Memorial Hospital where she is reunited with her unimaginably relieved parents. For Greg and all the other incredible volunteers that flocked to the scene to help, their job is done. The scene started to thin out. People started to leave. There was nothing more to see. The traffic cleared enough that our machine could be gotten out. Being so close to the event with only one thing on his mind, rescuing Jessica, it was hard for Greg to have a sense of the enormity of what he had just participated in. It isn't long after leaving the site before it hits him. As we're driving down the streets of Midland, people were running out <laughs> to the street on highways, yelling at us and waving and calling the company name. And I mean, I, I remember passing one automobile dealership and everybody that was there came running across the dealership, waving their hands at us and yelling at us. They all knew who we were. As one journalist described it, it's like the after scenes of a last minute Super Bowl victory. Cars stream by Midland Hospital with horns blaring and people leaning out of their windows, cheering and hollering. In Fort Worth, shoppers at the local mall are informed by loudspeaker of Jessica's rescue to much delight. And when it's announced on the PA at halftime of a local high school football game, the cheer from the crowd is louder than anything they heard during the game. With Jessica becoming a proxy for everyone's child and for the nation itself, the relief that she and it had come out fighting was palpable. The excitement of the place, the knowledge that we had helped, that we had been instrumental took some winding down to get down. Incredibly, with the exception of necrosis on her foot, where it had been trapped under her leg for so long, Jessica was found to be in relatively good health. Despite some fears that her foot may need amputating, after extensive surgery, it was eventually saved. In time, Jessica made a full recovery. 
Greg was one of the first from the rescue teams that had the privilege of meeting her in person. She had already had numerous surgeries on her foot, but when we were there, she was a bright, alert, 18-month-old, wanting to play. It was good to see her and to speak to the parents and receive their thanks. Don't think there was a lot that needed to be said. Uh, the fact that she was there, the fact that she was alive, the fact that she was going to recover, and that was now certain, uh, spoke volumes and, and said everything that needed to be said. Like many involved in Jessica's rescue, now the young girl was safe and recovering well. All that was left for Greg was to go home and get back to living his life. Some, however, like Robert O'Donnell, the paramedic who finally pulled Jessica free from the well, were thrust into the limelight and rightly heralded as true American heroes. For O'Donnell particularly, life would never be the same after he returned to the surface, having pulled Jessica out of the well. In the years that followed, due to the impact of the event itself and the pressure of the fame that followed in its wake, those close to him believed he began to suffer from PTSD. In April 1995, Robert O'Donnell took his own life. PTSD can come in a lot of forms, and I think O'Donnell was no doubt suffering, feeling the heartache and the pain and all the things associated with the stress of the event, but then also having to deal with the fame and the notoriety that came after. It was a lot for him to handle. It's a lot for anyone to handle. As times have progressed, we've become more educated in the trauma that somebody can experience from a rescue, from military service, or even just doing their normal duty as an emergency responder. We've all seen traumatic events in the line of service and duties, and we can't forget that sometimes scars are not on the surface. They're deep, deep inside, and they need to be healed just like anything else. The city of Midland organized a parade for the people of Midland to celebrate something very uplifting for a community who was not doing well. While we were waiting in line for the parade, Robert O'Donnell came looking for me, specifically looking for me. And he told me, he said, you guys are the reason I got her out. He said, if you hadn't done what you did, I could have never done what I did. That was very, very heartwarming. He was the one that mattered. He was the one that was there. He's the one that went down there. He was the one that most saw what we had done. And for him to say, what you did made it possible for me to do what I did a bit more than if we had heard it from the mayor or from anyone else. Having been so young when the accident occurred, Jessica had no recollection of the event. It wasn't until she was five years old that her parents told her about what had happened. Today, 
Jessica, now known as Jessica McClure Morales, is 37 and happily married with two children of her own. And though she prefers, understandably, not to dwell on those few traumatic days back in October 1987, for many of those, like Greg, who came to her rescue, the event has never left them. It was a tremendous emotional element to this. It was a little girl. It was an innocent child. It was a community coming together. There was no race, there was no religion, there was no age, there was no gender. It was people working selflessly with each other, all pulling in one direction for a common good. And if it didn't do anything else, I believe for a brief point in time, it told us that maybe we can't get along. Maybe there is some hope for the planet. You've been listening to Rescue with Donnie Dust. Rescue is a Sony Music Entertainment production. Thanks to all the contributors for sharing their story with us. Rescue is produced by Richard McLean Smith. The executive producer is Louisa Field. The junior producer is Martha Miller. Scoring and sound design by Gulliver Tickle. Music composed by Eleni Hassabas. The production coordinator is Lily Hambly. The production manager is Kat Moran. Thanks to Jez Nelson, Chris Skinner, and Julia Stevenson. If you like this podcast, then do check out other Sony podcasts. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.